I've been talking a lot lately. I shouldn't stop there, should I? I've been talking a lot lately about, about standing. I, I, was, I was just sitting, thinking, contemplating about what standing means. It means a lot of things. When the children of Israel had the scripture, the, the, the word of the law read to them, what did they do? They, they stood. Uh, what do we do when we sing certain songs? You know, we, we, uh, we say, oh, we can't sing standing on the promises without standing. And uh, it's, a, it's an indication of, of concern. It's an indication of honor. Uh, I think of when Stephen was crucified, not crucified, but when Stephen was stoned to death. And he, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing by the right hand of God. And I, I remember uh, hearing all my life that that standing was a, was a concern. Uh, but also standing, at least the way we've been using it lately, has meant to stand your ground, to not give up, to not let go. To, to stand. And we have read a number of passages concerning that. It's part of our transformation. Jesus says to follow me. And, and part of that is standing. But the world's done a number on us. The world has told us that biblical values are old and outdated. That to follow scripture is old-fashioned and that's not what we should do these days. It's, it's kind of like being on the playground and you've got two captains. And you're one of them. And you can select one or select the other. And you have to make a decision. Our theme for this year and for this series has been the passage uh, that the Beyer family read from Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I, I want to stop right there. Everything is, is seen in view of God's mercy. Not, not necessarily in view of as far as seeing, but in, in the contemplation, in the realization that God's grace and mercy has been given to us. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship I, I could preach a whole sermon from this first of all we look at that word sacrifice what is sacrifice sacrifice is something that you give up in order to honor uh, at least god uh, the the sacrifice to god in the old testament the sacrifice was a was a lamb or a, a bull or something very similar to that and it wasn't just any lamb or any bull it was the firstborn it was the best that was offered and he says holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship and we we think, you know, on Sunday morning is, is what we do, is what we, okay, let's go to worship. Sunday is just the beginning. Sunday is just the, the encouraging part of it. But our true worship is what we do the rest of the week. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
you've heard me say this a lot of times, Phillips, Phillips translation uh, translates that this way. Uh, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And then you'll be able to stand, to, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know, but it seems to me that we spend an awful lot of time trying to correct the church rather than trying to change the world. Somehow we've bought into the idea that it really doesn't matter what we do or how we act as long as we attend church services or some kind of spiritual activity because you see what we can do, okay, I, 10%, 90%, 90-10, that's how we can do it. 90% in the world, 10% at church, and that seems to suffice. Or 50-50, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good uh, percentage. Toward the end of his ministry, Jesus confronts three individuals and asks them for a total commitment, for a total transformation. If you would, <clears throat> turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. As, as time approached for him to be taken into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. <coughs> I'm, I'm a preacher, I'm sorry. I, that, that term, that word resolutely just rings out to me. This wasn't something that Jesus did haphazardly. This wasn't something that Jesus did as an afterthought. This wasn't something that Jesus said, oh, I think I'll go to Jerusalem and ah, we'll let the chips fall where they may. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And so it says, and as the time was coming, Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready. A Samaritan village. This wasn't the Jewish nation. This was a Samaritan village. This was a, an area between Judea and Galilee. This was not where a good Jewish person would go. And it says, the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then he, he and his disciples went to another village. And as they were walking along, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another, I will follow you, Lord, but first... Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. The first guy says, I'll follow Jesus wherever you go. That seems like a, a reasonable statement, doesn't it? 
The second one says, let me go first bury my father. That seems a little cruel, doesn't it? And the third says, I just want to say goodbye to my family. Sometimes we make glib statements that sound like glorious platitudes, don't we? We say things that just sound real good, but, but really our heart's not in them. Jesus calls us to submission. But Lord, we have our rights. You, we, we've got to allow us to do certain things. That is my privilege. That is my right to be able to do this. We come to be baptized and that's it. We, we're, we're dunked and we're done and I have no more responsibilities. I've punched my ticket and Jesus says, I want you to be fully committed. And you say, what else do you want? I go to church. Things have been tight lately. Lord, you know, there are a lot of things going on. This isn't the only thing that I've got. And there really has been no sacrifice, no transformation, and you still have your identity, not the identity of Jesus. And sometimes I think this is the way we commit to things. Our response is, what's in it for me? I will follow you, Lord. I'll go wherever you lead. But what's in it for me? I get the impression that's what this guy was saying. You know, I will follow you. And Jesus says, hey, man, I'm homeless. I don't have a place to put my head. I don't have a place to sleep at night. Are you willing to do that? I love what Kyle Eidelman says in his book, Not a Fan. He says, Jesus wants followers who will say yes to him before they even know the request. What if? What if the person who taught you the gospel or persons who taught you the gospel would have been half-hearted or half-committed or half-sold on Jesus? What would have happened to you? And consider this man in Luke 9 in contrast to Peter and Andrew and James and John for that matter. Matthew and the others. Say what you will about them, but they were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went. They dropped their nets. They stopped whatever they were doing. Matthew stopped collecting taxes and began to follow Jesus. And it cost them their lives. But have you ever used an excuse to get out of something? Dog ate my homework, might rain, I'm really tired. Martha and I used to tell our kids if, if there's some event or something that, that kids you know, try to get you to do, use us as an excuse. Oh, my mom and dad, they won't let me do that. We were very proud to be able to do that. But the second man here seems to have a legitimate reason for not following Jesus. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That sounds like a reasonable request. But listen to what he says. First. You get the impression the guy was not 
fully committed to this. First, let me do this. I'm afraid that our commitment a lot of times to Jesus towards the Lord is, is way down the line. I mean, it's second or third or sometimes maybe even fourth. First, let me take care of what I need to take care of. Now, I even hate to bring this up. No show of hands. How many of you have said, and maybe within the last 24, 48 hours, tomorrow... I'm going to start exercising. Tomorrow, I'm going on that diet. And I wonder if this guy was not saying that his dad was dead necessarily, but he was getting there. And I'll follow you once this event happens. I used to... If you've been around me much, you, you've heard me talk about working in an ice cream factory. I worked in an ice cream factory, Yarnell's Ice Cream. That's not even there anymore. Uh, they, they've changed the name. It's Turkey Hill. Would you eat ice cream named Turkey Hill? That just sounds gross. Turkey Hill Ice Cream. But anyway, I worked at Yarnell's Ice Cream. My parents left me alone. I was a teenager. I was 18 years old. They left me alone for a summer. I, I still cannot believe that, but they did. They must have really trusted me. Boy, were they wrong. But I had to get up early in the mornings. And this is before um, the, the snooze alarms. And so I would get up, and we had this big clock on the wall. It, it, was, it looked like a a pocket watch. My mom won in a contest, but it was great big and it had a, had a chain on it. And, and it hung on the wall and I would come in and lie down on the couch. I would be, because I would stay up way too late and I had to get up way too early and I would come in there and I would, I would sleep. I'd close my eyes and I'd open up my eyes every once in a while, look, see what time it was. And I'd go back to sleep. And open up, you know, and I just did that until, okay, I, I really, I, I can't do this anymore. I was a human snooze alarm is what I was. I think that's sometimes what we do. We hit the snooze alarm on Jesus. We say, you know, I'll, I'll do this, but not right now. And you know as well as I do, that later becomes never. I can't tell you how bad I have felt when somebody has asked for some request or, or, or somebody has said, would you come visit me? And, and something happened and I didn't, didn't get to do it. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12, says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. 
Today's a good day. And it's a good day because life can change in a heartbeat. The third request in this passage seems very similar to the other one. I don't think Jesus was telling this man to leave his family. I don't think he was even saying to follow him and ignore his family. I think what Jesus was saying was that he, Jesus, needs to be the priority. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He was worried about his reputation. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Lord, what, what do I need to do and inherit eternal life? But he had great wealth and he went away sorrowful. Jesus says, no one, no one who puts a hand at the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I've seen pictures of my dad. My, my grandfather was a farmer back in the oh, 1950s, 1960s, all the way to the time of his death in the 70s, I remember. But my, my dad was a farmer. I mean, he, he always, he, would, he was two things. He was a farmer and he was a preacher. But I remember seeing pictures of him with the, the, the horses and the plow. And then later on, when he taught at Harding, Harding had this, this program. They had a, a, a plot of land, and they, I forget what they called it, but in the summertime, they said, we'll plow this land up and give you a plot, and you can grow your own garden. You don't have to grow it in your backyard. You can plant it here. And Dad went out. All these people had all these kind of machines that would till the ground and, and, and plow the ground and make it look real nice. And you know what my dad did? He looked at a Sears catalog, and he got a plow, but it was one of those that had the two handles on the wheel. It looks like a wheelbarrow, and it had the things, and, and he would do it that way. That was probably newfangled to him. But he would take a string, and he'd put it in one end of the ground, and he'd take it and put it on the other end of the ground, and he'd take that plow, and he would follow the string. Because you see, the string was a straight line. And Jesus says, you know what? He says, nobody, nobody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I wonder about the apostles. What kind of life did they have? Did they make a lot of money? Or were they just living hand to mouth? What about their families? Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott is the, the famous missionary who lost his life preaching to the Aka Indians of Ecuador once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I want to end this today with a, a little bit of a humorous story. At least I think it's humorous. I, I tell humorous stories and nobody laughs, so I, I, you know, I come off and say, wasn't that funny? There was a pig and a chicken. The pig and the chicken were talking to one another, and they loved the farmer that they worked for. And the chicken says to the pig, you know what, our farmer is a great farmer. He's just a great man, isn't he? Let's do something for him. And they said, 
the chicken says to the pig, let's make him breakfast. Let's make him ham and eggs. And the pig looks at the chicken and he says, what you're asking is for sacrifice on your part, but total commitment on mine. What Jesus is asking for is total commitment. And he calls us to put him first. He calls us to be transformed into what he wants us to be. And he's told us, he's promised us as as we sang earlier, as Roger led us, this world is not our home. He promised us if we just follow him that he would take care of us. That he promised us that things would be all right.